Hi everyone and welcome to The Constant Cheerleader, the podcast that champions the people who go above and beyond to make a difference in the world and their communities over a cuppa. My name is Gemma Stevenson and joining me today is a woman who should have been swimming away to gold at the Tokyo Paralympics right now. But then again, this is 2020, so all bets are off. The seven-time world champion has gone from the early victories of earning her five-metre badge to become one of British swimming's success stories. With all her meets cancelled since March and none currently on the horizon, she's now sewing laundry bags and giving them to key workers, undertaking challenges to raise funds for various charities, And she's even found herself a new training partner, the family dog Twix. Here to give us 30 minutes of her best mat talk this week is Tully Kearney. Hi Tully, how are you? Hi, I'm alright thanks, how are you? I'm good thanks, but half expected you to be outside in your garden, lounging in the water park that you have now created in your home. Yeah, I mean, I would have been out there, but the water temp is about... 11 degrees today because I've not heated the pool and it is currently checking it down. So, yeah, that's why I'm safely inside, nice and dry. <laughs> I remember when you first put this pool up in March. I mean, saying, you know, going out into a pool in the garden when it was like 30 degrees, that's, you know, understandable. But in March, it was like 10 degrees. What were you doing to yourself? Yeah, it was pretty brutal and when I actually first bought the pool, I thought, oh, I'm not going to need a heater. I don't need to pay for that. I'm paying so much for the pool. Why would I buy a heater? So well, the pool came with like this solar panel, so I bought another one to try and boost it. But it wasn't really doing anything because we didn't have very much sun in March and the start of April. So the water temperature was between 12 and 16 degrees, which even 16 degrees is pretty cold, especially for someone with like dystonia and CP. My body was not impressed. And I was getting major brain freeze. And I just got to the point where I just didn't want to get in it anymore because it was so cold. I was going from like 11, 12, up to 18 degree water straight into a hot tub that was 40 degrees and it was burning my skin because of the temperature difference. And it would take me like four hours to get back up to a normal body temperature. So I gave in and decided that I'd buy a heater. Unfortunately, it seems the rest of the country had the same idea. So there were, literally wasn't a heater in this country unless you bought a used one, which was almost double the price of what they were worth new before lockdown. But I managed to, I'm pretty sure I got the last one in the country and I had to pay pretty much triple what it would have cost me if I'd have just sucked up and bought one in March. But, you know, we live and we learn and at least I have a heated pool, like at least one day a week. It is really expensive to run, so I only run it when I have to. Because you went to the Lido the other day, didn't you? You were a big supporter of the pools reopening, weren't you? Like, you you, you had it all over your social media saying, you know, pools are safe, I've been in them. You kind of got a chance to test what it was like before it all opened up. So you were, you, you've kind of been one of the voices of uh, swimming who has really said to people, get back in your pool, it's safe, it's fine. Yeah, I think it was a really important message to get out. And I think especially the thing that was quite confusing is... I can go sit in a pub in a restaurant next to someone, eat food, take a mask off and be fairly close to someone, but yet I can't swim past one in, someone in a pool. And the main thing for me was as long as you're not using change rooms you're or limiting the use, having like every other one, they're regularly cleaned in between each set of people that are in and out of the pool. You're washing your hands and you're wearing a mask at all times when you can then I didn't really see where the risk was. Obviously, like, there is a risk if the procedures aren't followed, but if everyone follows the proper protocols, I don't understand why. 
But then on the other side, it is a humongous expense to open a massive centre that has been closed all this time. So some of the big centres, I was devastated last week to hear about Ponds Forge. It's where I first did my first ever proper competition at the age of nine. And from about seven, I used to go and watch my brother compete there. So I've been at that pool multiple times. I've I actually qualified for my first World Champs, my first international at that pool. Um, my comeback event, my first race back after Rio, the all the issues that I had to deal with and my disability getting worse and that was my comeback and that's where I qualified the year after for Europeans, got back on the team. So that pool means a lot to me and things like Manchester Quack Centre isn't open, so we're at a different pool. Bath isn't open yet. So it's I understand that like, there is a massive extent expense in opening these things, but the smaller leisure centres I'd, I'd should be open and people should have access to exercise because all through lockdown it's been like you're allowed you're allowed out to exercise but some people can't exercise on dry land or struggle so what about those people what about um the kids that haven't been at school or haven't had access and need a way to let out their energy it's important for so many people and generally for water safety people need to know at least how to stay afloat and i know that that obviously isn't the most important thing right now with a pandemic but what if someone was to fall in a lake and then you're risking services coming out to try and rescue them or strangers having to jump in and rescue them whereas potentially i'm not saying that like obviously people have been able to go to a pool to stop all drowning events because you know like not everyone's going to go to a pool and learn how to swim but it is thinking of the bigger picture yeah no definitely because we've got into such good conversations um i've forgotten to do the most important thing tally I haven't discovered what cuppa you're joining us with. Well, I do drink hot drinks, but it's one of those where it's a bit random. I have to be like in the mood. I don't drink them as regularly anymore. But there is one thing I always have on me, and it is a bottle of squash. You can't beat a bottle of squash. I approve of that drink. Uh, what squash have you got? Uh, apple and blackcurrant, that's pretty much all I... Well, I'll drink other flavours outside of the pool. But like orange and lemon squash and even like cherry and berry squash goes a bit weird with chlorine. Uh, like apple and blackcurrant is just the standard go-to because otherwise the chlorine makes it taste really strange. You learn something new every day. Is it kind of like, you know, when you've brushed your teeth in the morning and you kind of then go and have like a piece of fruit? Because that is the weirdest taste ever. Like, is it yeah. kind of similar to that? It's not as bad as that, but yeah, it does change the flavour. And I also think, because of how many years I've been swimming, I think you just get a bit bored and then it doesn't, it definitely doesn't taste the same like, if you're swimming than it does on land. But apple and blackcurrant, I've not really noticed that much of a difference. So I feel like we've had like this fun fact now, Tully. This is like, this is all we need in the podcast now. You've kind of reached peak now. Uh, let's discuss something. You mentioned it briefly in your answer before we talked about your um, squash. You mentioned about Rio. Uh, now, obviously, just before Rio, you had to pull out because of uh, a worsening of your dystonia. And then this year, you once again get close to what would be your first Paralympics. And hello, global pandemic. Uh, it, yeah, it's been... Obviously, at first, I was really disappointed, especially, I think you'll understand, with the nature of dystonia and also the my extensive injury history of my shoulders. I don't... I can't train like a normal athlete, especially as, like, my energy levels and nowhere near and my fatigue levels are way higher than what I could do and I think that's one thing that I do find very frustrating is that my body can't do what it used to do and as an athlete I started training when I was eight 
Um, I think I made my first team when I was fourteen, fifteen. So I've I've had that drilled into me from a young age, and doing less than when I was like twelve now is obviously quite. I find it quite hard because athletes just want to train. So it has been quite hard to adapt to that. And I got to the point just before lockdown where I was finally, I had a lot of issues with shoulder pre-season, had issues like, like last season before Worlds. Um, so I just wanted, for the first time since 2014, I just wanted a season where I could train through and I didn't have any injuries or illness and no time out and I could just swim. That didn't happen. Uh, it was a really tough start. But the end of February, start of March, I started to really pick up and I was starting to get my speed back, starting to train back to my new normal schedule and then lockdown happened so obviously that was quite upsetting at first I was like I've made it because obviously at that point we didn't know how long it would go on for and I was like I've made it this far finally got to where I've wanted to be this whole season and now all the pool's closed and we have to stay at home so that was quite hard but then so I wasn't really thinking about Tokyo at that point I was thinking I've literally worked so hard for pretty much nothing now for it to be taken away I think my main concern at the start was oh my god what am I going to do because the way my dystonia affects me I have contractures in my pecs and that so it restricts movement in both my shoulders which is the main reason why I had to withdraw from Rio because I literally couldn't move and unfortunately it was brought on by um, a series of shoulder injuries so as we know dystonia can be triggered by external factors taking certain medications triggers as falling tripping and accidents so my main concern was I need some way so I can get more range in water now than I can on land, which took me three years to get, which is why it took me so long to get back in swimming. And I actually, after I withdrew from Rio, that was the second time I was told I'd never swim again. So yeah, prove them wrong. <laughs> but um, I did have to, I had to relearn how to swim and relearn a new way. So I was adamant that I was not going to lose that. So the swim, the, my pull with the bungee wasn't really about swimming. It was about range of movement. Because I knew if I lost that, I'd either have to retire or be out for a few years and it would take me a while to get back. So that was my main concern. But then thinking about it, obviously it has been devastating for everyone, especially people like me with progressive conditions and the struggles that I have maintaining like tra training, but also people that were wanting to retire, people at a certain age, other people that have had injury histories and thought, this is it, I can push my body another year and then I can retire. Now they've got to think, can I go another year? Like, do I want to do another year? And for me, like I deferred my master's and I was supposed to be starting it in September. So I think now I'm just going to start it and try and do it alongside training for Tokyo, which is going to be really hard. Um, but it's not something I want to keep deferring. After I finish swimming, I want to be able to get on with my life. I want to be able to start up in the job and the career that I want. So I, I don't want to just keep, I've postponed so many things because of training and the whole Rio thing and my condition getting worse has made me realise that there is way more to life than sports. I absolutely love sport, but I'm not going to be a swimmer forever. I think the easier thing about Tokyo was that for Rio, I was the only one that made the team and had to withdraw. So I was the only one that missed out in my eyes because obviously other people missed out, but they didn't qualify. So in my eyes, that was just soul-destroying and heartbreaking. But Tokyo ha hasn't happened. So I'm not the only one that missed out. The whole world has missed out. So for me, it is a lot easier to deal with it, I guess, because I've been through a similar experience, but also this is much easier to deal with than missing out on Rio. Your performance at Worlds, it, it kind of set you up as the woman to be when it came to Tokyo. Worlds is really cool because obviously 2015, I think this is one thing that I try to reiterate to younger athletes as well, especially for, I know quite a few athletes with dystonia and 
if you look on paper, I'm never going to be as successful as I was in 2015 because I came away with four gold, silver and bronze. I'm never going to be able to race six events. I can only swim freestyle and fingers crossed. Now that I've got another year, I might try and do backstroke, but um, because of the restriction on my shoulders, I am at quite a disadvantage. I can't get much pull. So we'll see how that goes. I've not swum backstroke in a while. Um, couldn't really do it against the bungee because I kept sinking. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, because obviously you won't have been immune to this, because um, it's been all over the papers and the news, really, recently. Um, <laughs> Paralympic classification has come into the headlines again. Now, swimming went through the kind of upheaval in 2017. Um, you were affected by it, weren't you? Um, yeah. It affected... Was it one of your meets? Yeah, it was the European Championships. But we're still talking about this. Now, obviously, with Paralympic classification systems... Um, it's never going to be perfect, but do you think there are lessons that can be learned when dealing with disabled athletes around classification? I think people have got to understand there's always going to be an upper and a lower class, and there's always going to be someone that's always going to be at the bottom of a class. The only way to get rid of that would be to have like 100 classes, and there'd be no one to race against. So you wouldn't be able to, and also that would take like a month to do the schedules. If you look at it, in certain sports like swimming, you race against people that not only have just your condition. Um, in swimming, it's based on purely your impairment and how it affects you in the water. You're against people of the same ability. I got reclassified in 2017 as I went down from a 9 to a 7. I then got redone in 2018, which was when the new system came into play. I think because I was obviously like new back to swimming and I'd been a nine and I, I mean when I first got classified I was a 10 because obviously the progression of dystonia has meant that I've gone down over the years so I was put as a seven and at that time I thought oh that's fine but when I started racing I thought actually this isn't really that fair there was a massive difference between me and the other sevens but um I was on yearly review anyway because of my dystonia so then I got put down to five and to be honest I was quite shocked but then when I saw other athletes getting moved down I was like oh actually I think this is just a generic um, thing and then I started competing as a five and was like actually I am pretty much the same as everyone else like this is actually fair um, but I think it was because of the nature of my condition and because I'd dropped so many over the years they wanted me I was done at trials in 2018 at Ponsford in April and they wanted me to be done again at Europeans so I got done at Europeans the I think it was two days before the competition started and Unfortunately, the classifiers, and this is an issue I've had before, the classifiers didn't really know what Estonia was. In the water, I had many more points added. So the more points you get, the higher the class, that's how mm -hmm. they put you into classification. And I think the main issue was that because I wasn't sprinting, they didn't really, they couldn't see my full representation and what I look like when I'm racing. So they put me up as a six. The issue we had, because we're at a major meet, each country can only have three people representing the country in each event so I was the fourth at six so I had to wait until day four to swim an event because there was too many people in each event and I was the slowest so I was always going to be put in last so I got to swim the 100 backstroke and that was really tough because as a five we swim 50 so there was quite a big difference I was then picked up when I did the backstroke on day four I was picked up and um, they then realized that I was a lot more impaired than the people i was racing against so they put me back through classification this honestly this was heartbreaking this was two days for the meet it was my first major meet back um obviously going through a bench test you have to sign to say that there is a there is a possibility that you're going to get injured um but because of the way my dystonia affects me they didn't really understand they were pulling my shoulders quite a lot so i got a tendon injury so not only was i the straw i had a 
pretty sore shoulder. I already had um, bone spurs on AC joints, which is why I had surgery to get removed. So I was already in pain anyway, every day. So I'd had to fight through all that pain to get back to train. <laughs> then got an injury, then got like coupled with the oh, 19 hour six and you have to wait until day four to race. So day five, which was when the S5 53 style was, they pulled me up, took me back into classification on the bench test and made me redo the water test. But this time they made me do a thousand meters of literally sprinting, flat out sprinting to see the difference between me swimming slow and sprinting, which a thousand meters is a long way. About an hour and a half, it was emotionally draining, physically draining. I got put, put back as an S5. Fortunate, well, kind of fortunately, kind of unfortunately, the S5 53 style was um, a final only because there weren't enough swimmers to do it heat and final. So I got put into that final. So that evening, after doing all that stuff, going through all that emotional stress, I then had to race. I got behind the blocks. I don't dive, I start in the water. And I literally held onto a block and I just thought, I'm not ready to do this. Like my hat was falling off. I just was not, I was just like, I'm not ready to do this. Raced, um, swam pretty slowly, came third. But I managed to pick myself up for the next day, do the 100 freestyle. And the funny thing was, if you watch that race back on YouTube, the commentary is quite funny. So I I went about, pretty sure I went 39 for that 50 freestyle and came third. The fastest was a 38 low. My 100 freestyle the next day, I turned in a 37. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, but it was just like the emotional and physical drain. I just, could, I just couldn't do it. I just wasn't ready to race that day. So the next day, got back in, finally performed did my 100 freestyle on one, but I was devastated that I missed the 200 freestyle because that was day one. So obviously the classification and it was obviously really upsetting, um, but I think it was a great learning curve for the classifiers. It was also brought up um, on the athlete representative group for the whole of Paris swimming. They took it to a meeting and brought it up because it wasn't just me, it happened to, it happened to other athletes. So um, they brought that up and I think it's been a good learning curve. And when I got classified the year later the classifiers knew what Estonia was they knew what to look for and they were actually really good and what I want to talk to you about actually now and move on to now is you've mentioned that in the early stages of this reclassification process people didn't know what dystonia was but equally in everyday life I'm not sure whether you find this but when you say you've got dystonia people go so what you might not be in Tokyo competing in the Paralympics but You've set yourself a challenge because it is now, it's 1st of September. It's a very special month. It is Dystonia Awareness Month. And during this month, you're kind of doing, it's called the Dystonia Around the World Challenge and it is to raise awareness um, for dystonia. I mean, how important is this month for the ability to get people to stop saying what at you when you tell them what your disability is? Yeah, it's really important. It's something that I look forward to every year and it's a way of blasting it all over social media without people getting annoyed that you're all you're posting about is dystonia <laughs> so um yeah it's definitely really important and i think before i became patron in i think it was 2018 i used to because obviously my main condition when i was younger was cerebral palsy and that's what affected me more but as i got to like 12 13 it's when i really started to have obvious symptoms that weren't cerebral palsy that were just the dystonia and then finally being diagnosed at 16. so when i was younger uh, even up to when I was like 18, it was easier just to tell people I've just got cerebral palsy because people know what cerebral palsy is, the majority of people. But um, trying to explain dystonia is so much harder. So I definitely, will, I admit that when I was younger, I'd just be like, oh, yeah, I just got cerebral palsy if someone just randomly asked me in public because it was just much easier. Whereas now, obviously, I do take the time to explain it, but I don't think it always comes across. People are always still a bit confused and they're like, huh? Okay. And they're like, it's a movement disorder. It's like similar to cerebral palsy but it's 
different. <laughs> it's not brain damage. It's the chemicals in the brain. It's like a chemical imbalance. So it is, it's out there. It's people just don't know what to look for or they just think, oh, you've got cerebral palsy. You can't have another condition or you've got Ellis Downloss or you've got this condition. There's no way you have another condition because, you know, you're already disabled or, um, or, you know, it's just a cramp, you know. It's not only in general public, but doctors, nurses, it, it does need to be spread out there. And I think it is a... The Sony Awareness Month is a really good way of getting it out there and trying to get people to understand and having the fun facts and like the little informative little tips about what Sony is and how it can affect people. Um, but the main thing that really infuriates me is when people refer to me as a wheelchair. I'm not a wheelchair. I'm a human being in a wheelchair. So instead of saying, oh, um, excuse me, can you like, move out the way? There's a lady or there's a woman or, you know, there's, there's a, even a girl would be better than saying, oh, can you move out the way, please? There's a wheelchair. Like, excuse me, I'm a human being, I'm not a wheelchair. <laughs> it is, it's like you've seen it during lockdown. I mean, for you as well, with this social distancing and stuff, do you find, I don't know whether you do, um, but I don't know whether people know whether they're doing it. I find people still, like, are almost sitting on you and leaning oh, over you. And... Leaning, oh, yeah. <laughs> I had an incident the other day where, for the first time, honestly, I have not wanted to get anywhere, but... Um, I'm going to be admitting this, and she's probably going to listen to this now. Sorry, Sally, you're going to listen to this. But I forgot <laughs> about my dad's wife's birthday. So when I was leaving Manchester, I thought, oh, I'll drive through. They live in Canuck. So I was like, oh, it's on the way back to Birmingham. I'll just drive through, and I'll drop it off on the way. So um, so I, I need to go to a shop. I braved it, went into a supermarket near where I live. Was Luckily, it was after this marshal came in, so people were, and it was like literally just after that happened, so people were actually wearing masks. But I was in the card section. And I mean, this is a pretty big shop. So I was just looking through the car. I was trying to find a suitable one. And this guy came up to me. And I do actually get quite a lot of questions. I use a smart drive, which is a power assist device on the back of my chair. And it's this little black wheel. And it's, um, I control it using a wristband that's Bluetooth to it. So, I mean, it does look pretty weird seeing someone with a wheelchair just whizzing around without moving their arms. Apart <laughs> from to steer. But this guy, I was literally, I, I wasn't moving. I don't think I'd seen him around the shop. So I don't think he'd seen me whizzing around. And I was just... I came right up to the car, so I sort of trapped myself. The only way to get out would be to reverse and then go left or right. This guy came right up to me. Yes, he was wearing a mask, but he was too close. I was not impressed. He basically trapped me because the way he was standing, the only way to get away from him would have been to get closer, which I didn't want to do. So I was literally trapped. He was saying all these comments about, oh, what's that wheel? So I kind of explained, oh, it's a smart drive. But I was looking the other way because I was like, I don't want you breathing near me. <laughs> Not any germs. <laughs> so I was like looking like to my left. He was on my right. So I was like looking away, but I was talking to him. I was like, you're just too close. And then he started saying, oh, it's a turbocharger. And I was like, you know what? Just go away. <laughs> you don't need one. We're in a pandemic. You don't need to be going up to people and asking questions. Fair enough. Like if you're intrigued, a lot of people ask from a distance, oh, what's that? And I'm like, oh, it's a like it's a assist and but the amount of sappy comments i get it's not necessary we're in a pandemic and you're getting that close to me just because you're wearing a mask doesn't mean you can come within an inch of me like step away it is really annoying though especially it was annoying anyway but now like you don't want people leaning over you like even if they're wearing a mask like don't do it just don't don't do it you wouldn't lean over like a kid would you if a kid was standing in front of you, you wouldn't be like, oh, let me just lean over this kid. So why do it to a wheelchair user? <laughs> if you are a patron for Dystonia UK who run this Awareness Month, um, just to kind of finish off this section, if people want to use this month to find out more about Dystonia, what would be your kind of top tip? Well, I think the first thing would be to, to visit Dystonia UK's website. They've got a lot of information. I mean, it's mostly based at people with Dystonia, but it is very informative. 
I wouldn't really go on anything like Wikipedia because anyone can edit that, but use a proper, maybe like, like the NHS websites or just a, like Sony UK official website because that's where you're going to get the actual information from. Or you could look on their social media. They will be pretty sure they'll be posting stories. They do have stories on their website of people with dystonia and parents and what they've gone through. But also, message one of us. If you want to know something and you're not just doing it to be nosy and rude, you actually want to know and raise awareness yourself and um, and you're interested, ask someone. If you know someone with dystonia, message them, ask them. Go on YouTube, see if you can find any information. I mean, obviously, be aware that everyone with dystonia is going to be affected differently. So just because you've heard from one person doesn't mean everyone with dystonia is going to have the same issues. Everyone's going to be different. If you're generally intrigued and you're not being rude, I don't personally mind people asking me what my condition is and if they're being polite about it. And obviously, if they, if they want if they want help and guidance, I don't mind people messaging and, and asking me that. Um, and so we're now going to move on. Uh, and talk about the future, Tully. I mean, obviously, you're still at home right now. Next year, I mean, Madeira is postponed to May 2021. What does that do to your season, though, leading up to Tokyo? If everything had happened without the pandemic, I'd already withdrew it. Like, I wasn't going to Europeans. I'd chosen. I made, I made the decision not to go. So I think there is the potential now. I have not raced since last September, since Worlds, because of the issues I had in my shoulders. I wasn't ready to race. And then, obviously, when I got back, almost ready to race, then lockdown happened. So it has been a really long time since I've raced, but I think it, it depends. Certain athletes will want to do that, and obviously it, it is a bit weird racing Europeans during May and just after trials when you've reached, you've tapered and you've reached peak and then you're racing again a month later, and that was the main issue for me is I don't think my body could race a month after doing the whole weeks of racing, trying to qualify and all that stress. But it's potentially something I might look at, but there'll be other athletes that potentially haven't had as much experience as me or... Um, uh, newer to the sport or younger that they might need that extra race experience or maybe they haven't been to an international yet so they need that before because it, it would be quite a lot to shove someone to a Paralympic Games if they've never been to an international. <laughs> I mean obviously Paralympic Games is going to be way different than what I've ever experienced but I'm pretty sure that I'd probably find it hard if I'd never been to an international because my first Worlds in Montreal was, was literally just like doing headlights I was like what? It is going to be a very strange season normally we start um, like the middle of September we I mean, at the NPC, we started back. I think it's been about eight weeks now. So that's our season started already. So that is going to be... I think I'm probably going to be one of the only athletes that can take a break between now and April because of the way my condition works. I won't be able to train through all of that. Um, well, that's fingers crossed if I don't get injuries and out of the pool. But <laughs> that is going to be the longest season that anyone's ever done. But then also, it's this is the longest time anyone's ever taken out of water, apart from me when I couldn't swim for like three years. But like, <laughs> so it, it is very different, and obviously it is taking people a lot longer to get back than it would do usually. So, I mean, I don't think I'll be back to where I was before lockdown. Um, probably not even by Christmas. I hope, hopefully, by Christmas, but probably not. It will probably take me um, probably until like February, and then I've only got a few months till April. So, hopefully, it works out. But I, I think that's one of the things that's hard is like for the track because I, I am in Manchester two days a week. Um, to swim but because I can't act as everything I need I have to come back to Birmingham with my mum to do like all my land-based stuff but I'm lucky that my mum lives alone if I'm not here and I live alone in Manchester so we're we're a bubble so I can come to and fro if I move back to Manchester the main issue I've got is that I've been able to access the track that I train at in Stockport this whole time because I've been an elite funded athlete however I've not been able to because in Manchester I don't have anyone that lives in my household 
and coaches obviously aren't allowed to touch my equipment. I can't lift the race run out, out my car myself. I need help putting the wheels on. I need help getting in it and being strapped to it. So it is going to be a long time until I can get back on a proper track. So I'm either on the treadmill and the, um, in the garage that was really lucky because I was worried about, I said I had all those injuries at the start of this season. I was worried about not being fit enough for trials. So I, I bought a treadmill and I was going to get a bracket made to put the race runner on it safely. And I was going to get a few hours in of training without having to use my arms because that's the issue with the race runners. That to have to steer does irritate my shoulder if it is in an irritable state already. So that was one of my buys. My mum was like, why have you bought a treadmill? Like, this is ridiculous. Why have you spent money on a treadmill? But as soon as lockdown happened, she was like, I'm so glad you bought that treadmill because we've, even though I've not had the bracket, I've managed to balance it on books. We've got it right over the treadmill and use straps to tie it down. So it's fairly stable. I make sure my mum sits in there with me so I don't like come flying off. But it is fairly stable. So I've been doing that. And then my mum's been, I've been going out and my mum's been cycling um, with me, going out in the village, which is really nice. But it is going to take people, especially disabled athletes, a lot longer, especially people that need help. Because at the moment, you just can't get it. People, coaches aren't allowed to touch your equipment. You're not allowed to have someone hold your feet in the gym, not in the setting I'm in anyway. Because um, obviously, British women want to be extra careful. But even if I went to, um, and did a PT session at the gym, they wouldn't be able to hold my feet, they wouldn't be able to pass me, they might be able to pass the equipment, but they wouldn't be able to physically touch me. So I think it is going to take people like us a longer to get back. I suppose, well, I mean, it depends if you've got someone living in your household and you can go to a standard gym. The higher needs athletes, like the lower classes, it is going to take them a long to get back. So I think we do need this extra time and hopefully everyone manages to get back to where they need to be for Tokyo in time. And, and yeah, ho- hopefully it goes ahead. <laughs> Fingers crossed. You've already told us about ways you're adapting. We've reached a point, Telly, because this is called the Constant Cheerleader Podcast, so you have to do some cheerleader things. But you've you've shown us ways you've adapted. You've given us so many nuggets of information already. It's your turn to give our listeners a bit of a cultural exchange. Now, for anybody who isn't involved in cheerleading, a cultural exchange when we go to competitions, we give other athletes from other countries a little gift from our country. And they tend to give us something from their culture back. Tally, it's time for your cultural exchange. I mean, over lockdown, I've learned a lot about above ground pools. Like, if you ever need anything about above ground pools, I have a lot of knowledge in my brain now. <laughs> so I wish I'd have known before I bought the pool because I would have bought different things. If you basically want to turn your garden into a water park like Tally has, does your mum charge for entrance to yours or does she not? She was actually joking the other day, now that we've got the two pools, we should actually have a water park and like open it up. <laughs> the main nugget of advice, if you've got an above ground pool or a hot tub and you're using a filter pump that uses cartridges, clean them every day. The amount of people that all you have to do is get your hose on it, use one of the, I use one of the attachments that makes it like a bit like a pressure washer or put it in a bucket of water. All you have to do is clean it every day. If you don't clean it, that is when your pool is going to start to get green, especially if you don't have chlorine. But yeah, clean clean your filters, people, if you have a pool. That's a good cultural exchange. Get in a clean pool, clean your filters. Um, <laughs> and um, our final part of the podcast is our map talk. Now, I don't know whether you've seen Cheer on Netflix. Have you seen Cheer on Netflix, Tully? I have, yeah. I watched it as soon as it came out. <laughs> do you remember an athlete called Jerry Harris? Yep. Yeah, you can't forget Jerry, can you? So this is your moment to make sure we can never forget Tully and to give us your Jerry Harris style mat talk, your bit of motivation for everybody for the next week. I think the main bit is I think I've learned over I think I took so many things for granted 
when I was an athlete dealing with mostly CP and mild dystonia before it got worse. And I think the main thing is don't let people tell you that you can't do something. You might not be able to do it as them. You might not be as quick as them. It might take you longer. You might not be as good. You may not be, like, if it's something like you want to go out for, like, a 5K round, you might not be a top athlete, but you're doing it. You're doing it. So don't let people bring you down. Don't let, like, negative comments and things. What do they know about you? I think we we were talking earlier about um, you don't know what's going inside someone else's life. So don't listen to people. They don't know what's going inside your head. They don't know what your capable physical capabilities are or your emotional well-being or anything. So if you want to do something, why not? That is a perfect bit of map talk. Uh, you looked so nervous before you were about to give that map talk, Telly, but you had no reason to. I think you said it quite early on in the podcast. I proved them wrong when they said you wouldn't get back in the pool. I mean, on that note, I want to say thank you, Telly, for joining me today um, at the start of Dystonia Awareness Month. Also, thank you, everyone, for once again tuning in and listening. I'll leave you with one final message, and that is to stay safe and stay well. And we will meet again at the same time next week to champion another of life's cheerleaders. Thank you. 